are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So I have this picture in my mind of Jesus and his disciples traveling together through Galilee. They sit and they listen as he teaches. They bear witness to his healings. They visit with him in various homes along the way and just generally keep company with him wherever he goes. It's an itinerant sort of life. Remember, Jesus once said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. But it's exciting and a bit confounding all the same. And along with this company of 12, there were clearly women there as well. They're sometimes mentioned by name, as in the case of Mary Magdalene. So it shouldn't surprise us to imagine quite a little group of them traveling together. In fact, there were clearly children in that group as well. Remember the story when the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, quote, called a child who he put among them and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Where do you suppose he got that child? From the traveling company. And there are a number of instances like that in the Gospels. So while my rather conditioned picture of things is to have Jesus and the Twelve roaming together as a group, when you stop and look more closely at the texts, you'll see that it's rather larger and more mixed of a gathering. But then there's this episode that we read about tonight, which also pushes aside some of those old assumptions. Quote, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to cure every disease and every sickness, and he sent them out. He sent them out on the road to proclaim the good news and to offer a ministry of healing and reconciliation to all who would receive them. They weren't to take even extra provisions to support themselves, but rather to rely on donations from those among whom they ministered. Now, I don't know about you, but on this count, I have long carried a rather conditioned picture of Jesus and his disciples. I mean, I've seen those biblical movies, from Jesus of Nazareth to Godspell to the more controversial Last Temptation of Christ. And it's so easy to imagine the disciples as staying very close by his side, listening to the teaching and the parables, being a little bit lost and confused, but there all the time. And yet here in Matthew 10 and in the parallels in Mark and Luke, off they're sent. And they're sent not to the Gentiles, nor to the Samaritan towns, but instead, quite clearly, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and that needs a little attention from any responsible preacher. So the road trip, what's that all about? In the verses just 
prior to their being sent out, Jesus says it quite clearly. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. He's been faced by growing crowds of people who've heard of his gifts as a healing presence and a life giver. And he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Too many people, too many needs, too much pressure. And there are still more such people all through Galilee, beyond Galilee, in fact, who are hungry for hope, restoration, and good news. So it would seem that at this critical moment in his ministry, Jesus decides to begin to spread the good news like wildfire and to use his closest followers, his disciples, to do just that. But what about that instruction to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, which means effectively to ignore the needs of the Gentiles and Samaritans? Well, here Stanley Hauerwas comments, Quote, Jesus has been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel to fulfill the prophecy that Israel is God's beloved, called to be a light to the nations. We have seen in the Gospels that some Gentiles are ready to respond to Jesus' call, believing that the kingdom is present through his life and work. The Gentiles who respond to this call for repentance are grafted into God's promise to Israel. But Israel is not to be left behind. Jesus has come to call her to repentance. Similarly, in his commentary, N.T. Wright notes, quote, so far the Gentiles who have appeared have come at their own initiative. Jesus has not sought them out and won't do so during his public ministry. If he and his followers had started taking their message to the Gentile world, at this stage, no self-respecting Jew, no self-respecting Jew would have paid them any more attention. It would have confirmed his enemies' taunts. He was in league with the devil. And to be with Gentiles and Samaritans in that world, that's what that meant. The time for the Gentiles will come soon enough, Bishop Wright continues. But for the moment, every effort must be made to tell the chosen people that their great moment, the fulfillment of their dreams, has arrived. So during his lifetime, Jesus' primary ministry was to Israel to what St. Paul will later call God's cultivated olive tree. The message of good news is first proclaimed to a people who were chosen, and in a sense chosen against all odds. There is no obvious, no logical reason why God would have chosen dear old Abraham and Sarah, his wife, to be the parents of a great nation and ultimately a message of hope to the world. They're old, they're childless, 
And if you read the stories in Genesis, they aren't uncomplicated people. Their son Isaac, who was born to them surprisingly in their old age, was also a complicated man. And when it comes to his son Jacob, so Abraham and Sarah's grandson, well, Jacob, he's even less likely to be the foundation of a great people. Yet God is persistent, committed to what becomes a sometimes great, but more often troubled nation called Israel. And in and through all of that, God sees Israel as being that fine, cultivated olive tree. The Gentiles, says Paul, the Gentiles, and remember, that's me and you and all of us who aren't Jewish. The Gentiles are, by nature, cut from a wild olive tree. A wild olive tree, that's us, and grafted onto a cultivated olive tree called Israel. Grafted onto the cultivative olive tree, which means we are grafted into the promises that were made originally to Israel. Not only that, but Paul is insistent that even those natural branches of the cultivated tree that were broken off on account of unbelief or somehow banished or you know, cut themselves into a place aside from this Jesus guy, they are not ultimately banished from the saving love of God. Let me read the verse that I've been kind of riffing on in its fullness. Paul writes, this is Romans 11, he writes, For if you, meaning you Gentiles, including all of us, if you have been cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, Israel, how much more will these natural branches, these Jews who have turned away or rejected Christ, how much more will these natural branches be grafted back on to their own olive tree. It's, a, it's an expansive vision that Paul carries, that all of us, all of us, become part of this tree that is rooted in ancient Israel and become, in a sense, the, the sons and daughters and great-granddaughters and great-grandsons and on and on and on of Abraham and Sarah. It's not as if Jesus first took his message to the Jews and then because he was rejected, he called Paul to take the message to the Gentiles, a heck with the Jews. He wasn't rejected by all of Israel, for one thing. In fact, every one of the disciples, Jewish, as were Mary Magdalene, Stephen, Mary the mother of Jesus, Paul, and all of the other characters who, who populate the Gospels in the first half of the book of Acts, to say nothing of Jesus himself. What happens in the light of his resurrection and through the calling of Paul on the Damascus Road is that the good news is well and truly opened to the Gentiles, to us, the branches of the wild olive tree, 
so that we can be grafted back onto the only tree that matters, namely God's profound love for Israel. In fact, I think if you pushed Paul just a bit, he would probably say that God loves you precisely because he has first loved and called Israel to be a sign to the world. Here's one more thing to ponder in this gospel reading. It's interesting to note that in the list of the 12 disciples that Matthew provides, he begins with Simon, also known as Peter, who will be shown to be remarkably good at fumbling the ball at all the critical moments in the Gospels, and who ultimately will deny even knowing Jesus on the night that he's arrested. So he's number one in the list. The same list of 12 ends with Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. And between the two characters, between Simon Peter and Judas, we have quite a remarkable list of ragtag characters who Jesus called to follow him. Nobodies. The disciples are not impressive people, writes Stanley Hauerwas. The undistinguished character of the disciples is a sign of hope for us who inherit their task. For it is surely right that the church understands itself to be in the tradition of the apostles. The disciples are not impressive people. But then, he continues, then neither are we. Their mission, as well as our own, is not to call attention to ourselves, but to Jesus and his kingdom which is actually very liberating when you stop to think about it. None of us needs to be impressive, nor are we expected to build the kingdom, build the reign of God all on our own steam. Thank goodness. We are simply called to bear witness as best we can to the transformative presence of Jesus in our lives and to dare to live lives shaped by his vision of God's kingdom. And his vision of God's kingdom is generous, forgiving, healing, loving, and redeeming. Bearing witness to that? I can do that. Building that? Beyond my pay grade. That's okay. Because all we need to do in ways big and small, is to be witnesses to the kingdom of which we are all a part. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.